There have been myriad disasters in New York State in the years following 9-11, both natural and man-made. In many ways, the events of September 11, 2001, have helped prepare us for what has come. Hurricanes, outbreaks, terror attacks, and massive snowstorms are a few examples. The American Medical Association Code of Medical Ethics, Opinion 8.3, states that, with respect to disaster, whether natural or man-made, Individual physicians should take appropriate advanced measures, including acquiring and maintaining appropriate knowledge and skills to ensure that they are able to provide medical services when needed. Since 9-11, MISNI has been consistently at the forefront of emergency preparedness for New York State's physicians, responding with a variety of preparedness efforts, not least of which is the Physician's Electronic Emergency Preparedness Toolkit, designed to help physicians and other medical professionals prepare for natural and man-made disasters. This discussion will include a discussion of public health emergencies that have taken place since 9-11, MISNI's Physicians Electronic Emergency Preparedness Toolkit, and the live and online CME courses MISNI offers on emergency preparedness. I am joined today by Dr. Arthur Cooper, Dr. William Valenti, and Dr. Craig Katz. The first question is, what has your experience been since 9-11 in regards to the disasters that have taken place? Well, so I'll start out. This is Dr. Arthur Cooper from New York City. I would have to say that the events of 9-11 fundamentally changed the direction of my career. As a pediatric trauma surgeon, I had been focused on routine injuries sustained by kids. But after 9-11, it became very clear that New York City was a major focus for disasters of all kinds. And I really shifted the majority of my academic priorities in that direction. And that has not been misplaced because there have been a slew of disasters that have affected us here in New York City. I'll just name a couple of natural disasters. Hurricane Irene in 2011, of course, was expected to hit New York City in a big way, did cause a fair amount of rain. But upstate, there was terrible flooding that really inundated several of the communities and affected numerous physicians' offices. And of course, everyone remembers Superstorm Sandy in 2012 that really knocked out a few of New York City's major hospitals for quite some time. In terms of terror disasters, who can forget the Binghamton Immigration Center shooting back in 2009 and more recently the vehicular attack in Lower Manhattan just last year, 2017. Really disasters are something that has come to the fore, I think, in a much bigger way than had been the case before. Bill, do you have any thoughts about this? My focus is pretty much on infectious diseases, and there are a couple of remarkable public health alerts around infectious diseases. Pandemic flu in 2010 that started in Mexico and in California, and always the arthropod-borne viruses, West Nile. And then in 2015, the global Zika virus alert that started in Brazil, but then resulted in a number of other cases that were uh, imported from areas of high prevalence, some sexual transmission, those kinds of things that required we all refocus some of our efforts there. And then even more recently than that, we've started to see what's called enterovirus type D68 that is one of a large family of viruses that also includes the polio virus. And the interesting and sobering thing about enterovirus D68 is that 
It's been associated with paralytic disease in young children. Since there's no vaccine for that, the enteroviruses have come back onto the radar screen in a different way. And as recently as last week, there had been 68 cases of enterovirus D68 reported in New York State. No paralytic disease, however. So that's a good thing. These infectious diseases alerts are interesting in that they tend to be uh, cyclic unpredictable and a major cause for concern because uh, some of the concerns that people express around these things are possibility of a vaccine and overcoming vaccine anxiety in the case of flu, fear of contagion, and unnecessary stigma and restriction of people. And you know, there's always lurking in the background the issues that are related to suboptimal use of vaccines for diseases that almost disappeared. And I think these measles outbreaks that we've been seeing are interesting. And this is something that's certainly preventable and speaks to the physician's role in terms of educating our patients, especially around vaccines and overcoming those vaccine anxieties that are still out there and cause situations like this. I'm a psychiatrist, and I've had a chance to help out after a number of disasters since 9-11, some of them being transportation disasters, both of which were crashes in the Hudson. One was a helicopter crash. I forget what year that was. And then there was the airplane crash, the so-called miracle on the Hudson. But I actually would say the things that stand out to me most are somewhat still about 9-11, which is how it's, after all these years, it's still ongoing because I've had the chance to help start and, and work in, and now I'm only still perfectly connected to a long-term mental health and medical program for World Trade Center responders, and it's still going on now and all these years later. And it's amazing to me that there are still 9-11-affected individuals coming in for the first time for their mental health evaluations after all this time. And then, on the other hand, we have people who were responders and have been in the program for many years and are just dealing with chronic health and mental health conditions that were related to 9-11. So although we always, in our imaginations, tend to think about the impact and the immediate period around the disaster, 9-11, probably all the disasters we're speaking about, can cast a very long shadow even when everyone else moves on. And by the same token, Hurricane Sandy here in New York had the chance to work out in the far Rockaways. There was the horrific damage from the hurricane. And what struck me most about was all the public housing that was out in the far Rockaways. It was the first time I'd ever stepped into public housing. And seeing the problems that the people there, the residents of the far Rockaways, were dealing with before Hurricane Sandy, which only exacerbated more. And that makes me think a lot about all the things that precede a disaster and, and how if they were, things were in better shape, a disaster would be a lot less disastrous. Which of these particular disasters has affected each of you personally the most as far as involvement, aftermath, general impact? Speaking as a uh, pediatric provider, I was been deeply involved with the Pediatric Disaster Coalition here in New York City. I would have to say probably the two major disasters that affected us the most were the H1N1 outbreak uh, back in 2009 and Superstorm Sandy. For the H1N1, outbreak, we were deeply involved with the Department of Health in helping to put together a telephone tree that allowed some of our public health nurses
nurses here in New York City to answer questions over the telephone that kept a lot of people at home rather than out in public spaces. And of course, with Superstorm Sandy, we were deeply involved with some of the issues in and around special health care needs shelters for the children that had been displaced, some, as Dr. Katz had mentioned, from the Rockaways. So I think in terms of direct impact on me personally and my hospital, those were probably the issues that affected us the most. A couple of thoughts. On the one hand, 9-11 still stands out as Dr. Cooper, his own experience, mine too, it completely changed the course of things for me. Thankfully, I wasn't directly impacted. I didn't lose anyone, but I basically changed the course of my career and helped start a World Trade Center program. And just to, although again, still peripherally involved in it, but I still divide up my professional and even to some degree my personal life into pre-9-11 and post-9-11. On the other hand, I have had a chance to respond to some international disasters since 9-11. And the one that most affected me personally was the Southeast Asian tsunami late 2004 that affected India, Thailand, Sri Lanka, and Indonesia. And what most struck me about that is how we were running into a place. I went to Sri Lanka. We were running to a place that didn't have a whole lot of mental health resources to begin with. A school we were visiting with, one of the teachers stood up and, and said, you know, thank you for coming and helping us. But he more or less said, where were you before. And it made me think a lot about it. Really, actually, that question and that particular trip and all the energy that went into planning that trip, it was a lot. And it made me, again, think about, as I alluded to earlier, the issue of making communities mentally healthier when there isn't a disaster so that when bad things happen, and we've all listed all the bad things that can happen and that will happen, people are mentally stronger before the event so they can stand up to it. One of the things that happened just recently that affected our medical program is about 25 people with HIV relocated from Puerto Rico to Rochester. And since we have a large HIV program, we were asked to take people on as patients and had to overcome some of the language barriers, medication assistance. Many people came without any medication at all and needed to enroll people in a medical care program, insurance, and also deal with some of the other social determinants of health housing and other social kinds of things that went along with people relocating to another place. That's something that we're still working on in terms of getting all of these people settled and into medical care for their HIV disease when they came here, at least to Rochester, without anything. Do you believe that 9-11 helped prepare everyone for future emergencies? That's a tough one, Melissa, because I think it did prepare a certain cohort of folks who really recognized that this was of major concern. I worry that uh, although it was certainly for our nation a major wake-up call, I do worry that there are many of our colleagues who have not, shall we say, taken the opportunity to prepare themselves for the next disaster, in a sense, uh, relying on others to assume that responsibility. And the truth is that uh, disaster medicine needs to be everyone's second specialty. I know that many of our colleagues who are office-based believe that most of the action may be taking place in the hospitals, but particularly with respect to infectious disease outbreaks, that's not true. It's our office-based physicians who are actually going to bear the brunt of the burden in the event of a major infectious disease outbreak. I think it's really, really incumbent upon all of us to be sure that we are all 
all prepared, and for those of us who are deeply involved in this field, to make sure that there are educational opportunities specifically made available to all of our colleagues throughout the state, but especially our office-based colleagues. I think from a mental health perspective, certainly 9-11 generated a ton of attention and publications, manuals, and at least within psychiatry, it heightened the attention to the importance of disaster psychiatry. On the other hand, if I again compare 9-11 and Superstorm Sandy, I actually was really struck by how hard it was to get people to respond to Hurricane Sandy in the way that they did to 9-11. And I don't know what that was about, you know, disaster fatigue, the fact that to some degree we were responding in the outer boroughs. I don't know, but there was not quite the robust response that we got after 9-11. And I'm a little concerned that all those manuals and protocols, etc., haven't fully translated into a fully operational reality. The only thing that I would add to that is, as time has passed, I think many people have put 9-11 into a, a different perspective. And while it heightened our awareness of the need for preparedness, it was really a call to action. I think, as my colleagues have said, that resulted in a variety of policies, procedures, and a new framework. The other thing that I've noted is that a number of people around today who are in the workforce were young children when 9-11 happened. So their perspective and understanding of that event is really very different than those of us who were on duty that day. So these new disasters, however, really, again, are another call to action in terms of our preparedness. But at the same time, I don't think you're ever really prepared. We can talk about it and think about it and try and develop strategy around it, but it's hard to cover all those bases until the event is underway. How has emergency preparedness changed in a post-9-11 New York state? Well, certainly the branches of state government that are concerned with disaster response have spent a great deal of time and effort focusing on disasters. The same is true with respect to the New York City administration. I think offices of emergency management have been stood up to a much greater extent, really in in virtually every county, in addition to New York City. And of course, the medical society has played, I think, an extremely important role in educating our colleagues about the importance of preparedness, but not just preparedness. Preparedness, readiness. One can be prepared in terms of education, planning, and so forth, but if one isn't actually ready to respond when the disaster strikes, all that education and training and planning is for naught. I do applaud the Medical Society for its commitment to this area. One thing I know we're going to get to in a minute or two is discussion about the Physician's Electronic Emergency Preparedness Toolkit that has resources that will allow all physicians in New York State to access materials that can be very, very helpful the moment a disaster strikes. I think there has been significant upgrade in terms of the level of emergency preparedness and to some extent readiness. But of course, as with all things, we still have a very long way to go. I think the fact that we're having this conversation today suggests that we've certainly heightened our awareness and that preparedness is looked at in different terms today versus prior to 9-11. That's a good thing that we're having the conversation. And I agree with Dr. Cooper that certainly the Medical Society has been a major force in terms of getting this out in front of people and in front of our physicians. 
And I certainly echo the role that MISNI has played in really putting these issues out there and formalizing trainings and advocating for readiness. I think, at least within New York City, that there is an Office of Disaster Mental Health Preparedness that didn't exist before 9-11 in the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. That alone, from an administrative perspective, is a good reflection that there has been innovation. And certainly, if nothing else, forgetting the mechanics and the logistics, people are more aware. There's no question about that. Health professionals are more aware. Many are more trained. Many are more experienced now, health or mental health professionals. So those are all good things. Now we're going to move on to a brief discussion of the Physician's Electronic Emergency Preparedness Toolkit. It's something that MISNI created to assist physicians to prepare themselves for the next emergency, be it natural disaster or man-made. There are four modules of the toolkit, and it offers 15 total CME credits. The first module is liability protections for office based physicians during a public health emergency, and it discusses different acts that are in place in order to assist and protect office-based physicians. The second module is the federal and state framework for responding to a public health emergency, and that offers access to different reporting requirements and different local health department structures that are in place. The third module is best practices for a public health emergency, and it takes you through prevention of infectious disease, how to address man-made or biological disasters, chemical and nuclear disasters, mental health during a disaster, and search capacity. And the final module is a go bag, which is a unique MISNI offering that gives the go bag list for physicians specifically. It goes a little beyond your typical go bag. The second portion of module four is an emergency planning checklist for medical offices and clinics. This checklist provides a list of resources and items that will assist medical offices and clinics to be prepared in the event of any type of an emergency. Both of these checklists are available at the MISNI CME website under resources or within the Physician's Electronic Emergency Preparedness Toolkit. Could each of you please now explain how you envision MISNI's Electronic Emergency Preparedness Toolkit assisting healthcare professionals during and before a disaster? Well, I believe that there does not exist for physicians in New York State a more comprehensive listing of resources that are available in the event of a major disaster. And again, particularly for the office-based physician whose needs and issues are so often overlooked by disaster preparedness professionals, the toolkit really offers offers some very special features. Melissa, you've already commented upon the go-bag and the office-based physician's checklist. These are really unique in terms of tools to allow office-based physicians to prepare for uh, disasters that may strike. And of course, as we can readily understand from the listing of disasters that began this podcast, a disaster can really strike any physician's practice anywhere in New York State. So I think this is, to me, the most valuable feature is the compilation of resources and the specific tools that have been prepared for office-based physicians. The mental health reference card is sort of all of disaster mental health, both short-term and long-term, all in one card. So it's got some basic information on 
on psychological first aid, basic ways to help people and without having to be a, a psychiatrist to help them the mental health-wise. It has some basic criteria for the common diagnoses that come up post-disaster in the long term. And it also has just some good general principles for how to approach mental health. So it's uh, honestly, I think it's actually a card that mental health professionals could use too, because many of them don't have acquaintance with working in post-trauma, post-disaster setting. But it's a really good, quick reference. And I would say, I would just be pleased if any physician who is helping out in post-disaster just had it in their pocket. Because if they've got it in their pocket, forgetting the details, if they've got it in their pocket, then at least they're thinking about mental health. And mental health is the kind of thing that anybody can incorporate into their medical practice post-disaster, because we're not talking about doing psychoanalysis. It is interactive and easy to use. And the go bag checklist, I think, is really helpful, not only for health care settings, but also uh, at home. And the other value add is that there is CME credit associated with it. So it's a win-win. Speaking of CME, can you describe the importance and value of Disney's online emergency preparedness CME courses and Live Medical Matters webinars? In what way do you think they address the preparedness aspect of the office-based physician? Well, having done one just recently, I speak to that in terms of the topics are always timely so that if something is happening currently, there's usually a medical matters program around that. And then the other is that the programs provide some framework for managing various aspects of disaster, infectious diseases, trauma, and so on. And again, CME. Because such a great number of our membership in uh, the medical society are comprised of office-based physicians, the uh, focus of programs in attempting to reach the office-based physician, I think, is really a very special feature of our CME programs. No one else in the nation, to my knowledge, is really addressing this very, very important task to any great extent. Professional societies are doing great work in terms of putting together courses, but they're mostly directed to hospital-based physicians and the immediate disaster response are not so much directed to office-based physicians who will often be the first receivers, uh, particularly for infectious diseases and long-term mental health follow-up, as Dr. Katz has mentioned. So to me, uh, this is really a very, very special and unique program. And I certainly have had the honor of participating in the development of several of the programs and, of course, have, have reviewed all the programs. And they're excellent. There's probably Probably no better set of educational resources out there to reach any physician, but especially office-based physicians. I just think that they're really well thought out and comprehensive, and they are updated. We just have a wonderful committee and incredible staff that just stay on top of everything. And a lot of this, I think, did actually come out of, I think the committee, if I recall correctly, was sort of born out of 9-11. And unlike so many of the things that were born out of 9-11 that, have, that faded away, this is not one of them. This committee and great people that are on it, like my colleague on this podcast. And so I think this is as you know, comprehensive and current as one could possibly want and relevant, like Dr. Cooper was saying. I think you can't beat it. Thank you, Dr. Cooper, Dr. Katz, and Dr. Valenti for sharing your thoughts on the Physician's Electronic Emergency Preparedness Toolkit and the efforts made by MISNI since 9-11 to prepare physicians. You can view the Physician's Electronic Emergency Preparedness Toolkit at cme.misni.org, as well as all of our other emergency preparedness and medical matters webinars that are posted there. There are free CME credits for all of these programs. So make sure that that you check them all out. Thank you for listening. Have a nice day.